Jim. Hey, yes, this is Jim. And Ralph. Hey, and welcome to uh, uh, our podcast. Uh, hey, Ralph, we've done over 100 podcasts. I think on Podbean, it's like 107, and on Psych Takeaway, there are maybe 125 or so. Yeah, and uh, I think, Jim, my inclination today is to say with a hundred and some podcasts, we should maybe do something which is a consolidation, a summative sort of thing. Uh, the so Maybe some of the collected wisdom of, of Jim and Ralph to help people live their lives a little more successfully. Okay, yeah. That's what we've been attempting to do. We've been attempting to take some of the principles of psychology and help our listeners to apply it to their life so that they can have a more successful life and a, hopefully a happier life and uh, a life that uh, is what free of both uh, emotional and physical turmoil, right? Yeah, and you know, our goal, uh, and it's it sounds really uh, um, ambitious to say this, but one in five people in the United States will end up having a diagnosable mental illness in their lifetime. And our goal has been... It's a good thing there are only two people in this room, Ralph. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I know that uh, half of us are crazy, and sometimes I'm not sure about you. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, we've looked at a lot of different factors over the uh, last couple of years. You know, occasionally we would uh, uh, be more academic, like when we did oh, Neuron Week, remember that? Right, right. But most of the things that we've looked at are things that uh, are applicable, that we suggest that people can, can actually do in order to uh, more successfully uh, navigate this uh, Mad, 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 mad world. Yeah, and these indeed are troubled and turbulent times. So uh, maybe as directly as we can, we'll give you what we think are not the ultimate, but at least 10 protective factors. Okay, let's start with one of my favorites, Ralph, and that is uh, problem solving. Okay. Uh, you know, we are... As human beings, we are confronted with problems all the time, and uh, it would be a good thing to enhance one's problem-solving skills. Uh, and even uh, something that you and I have looked at before, even uh, uh, future problem-solving skills, that is to look down the road, anticipate problems, and figure out how to solve those problems. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that a lot of people... Uh, try to do in life, they try to avoid having problems. And yet, if we can learn to experience the discomfort of difficult problems and develop a good set of problem-solving skills, we will not always face the anxiety and paralysis of something overwhelming where you're saying, and what do I do now? Right. A good example of that is uh, uh, climate change. You know, whether climate change is the result of man-made carbon emissions or not, climate is changing, and uh, it probably will change for some time in the in the, in the near future. Um, why do we say that? Well, because we've had historical evidence of 
changes in, in climate. Yeah, we had, uh, for example, in the uh, in the 17 uh, middle of the 1700s, we had a mini ice age that lasted about a hundred years. Yeah, so we you know we're looking at climate change as something that could impact us or will impact us at some point in time in the future, and we could ask um, you know what kinds of things can we do now to uh, ensure that uh, we're going to be successful as a race at some point in time in the future. Now, you know, that's climate change, and you and I are not climate change experts. But what could we look at? Well, we could look at um, how to um, solve the marriage problem. Okay. Okay, if indeed half the marriages end in failure, end in divorce, how could people who are looking at marriage in the, at some point in time in the future, how could they ensure that they have a successful marriage? So, you know, a successful uh, um, uh, world, you know, with climate change is one thing, but a su successful marriage could impact, you know, all of us. Or, or how can we have, um, how can we be successful parents? Yeah. Or how and could we have a successful career? All of these things are uh, dilemmas, they're problems. Mm -hmm. And I can remember uh, starting out <clears throat> in a teaching career with a whole bunch of faculty who, uh, this was in the gritty steel town that I grew up in, and all these teachers uh, liked to go for a drink after work. Okay. Except they didn't go for a drink. They went for six or eight. <laughs> okay. And it took me about 15 years to unlearn that lesson of my first year of huh. teaching. Okay. Because eventually I said, this is not a good pattern to live. That, you know, uh, every day uh, at five o'clock when when you leave the university uh, you find three other faculty guys and and you go to Duffy's bar <laughs> you know and uh, so that was an example of something that could have been a problem but mm -hmm. I had to unlearn it okay so it's a problem-solving thing in that uh, uh, not learning or unlearning something can also be the solution to a, to a problem. Okay, what, what next do we have here, Ralph? Well, we have uh, making strong emotional connections. Uh -huh. Now, one of the things that we were just talking about momentarily was uh, a marriage. Mm -hmm. And everybody going into a marriage, I think, um, it, certainly most marriages, the uh, bride and groom are saying to each other, I will love you forever. I've never loved anybody like this. And that's great. And love is a powerful emotional connector. Yes. But five years down the road, when there's kids and diapers and at least some of the romance has gotten gone out of the marriage uh, to be swept away by practical considerations, somewhere along the line, both of you have to say, we are committed to each other, and this too shall pass. 
The commitment is going to pass? No, the diapers are going to pass. Uh -huh. The, uh, the yep. you know, the early marriage stuff of we don't have the house that we want and we can't afford a new car. And, the, you know, eventually, if you stay together, you get past that stuff. And then you find that your love and romance finds its way back again. Yeah. We looked, uh, during our uh, podcasts, we looked at the Harvard Longitudinal Study, right? Right. And we found that uh, people who had um, stable relationships um, were, what, healthier. Healthier. Both psychologically healthy and uh, physically healthy. And they lived longer, and they were happier as they did it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, having strong emotional connections, something that we've learned um, during our podcast series. Something else that we've uh, looked at, and that's risk-taking. Yeah, and, you know, you should, in your life, promote for yourself healthy risk-taking. Okay, now, when we think about healthy risk-taking, what, what are we talking about here? Well, something that encourages you to go outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So, you say, okay, well... Uh, I saw this YouTube of a guy, uh, and he was wearing just a pair of shorts, and he had a rosin bag, and he was climbing a 600-foot vertical cliff. Yeah, I, I've never done that. I want to do it. Okay, well. Is that healthy risk-taking? Uh, for me, that would be risk-taking, but I don't think it would be real healthy. Yeah, you, you don't want to start with something that's on the far end of the risk-reward re continuum. Yeah. You want to do something like maybe trying a new sport. Okay, something that came to mind as you were talking about this, um, some people like to go on bridges and jump off bridges, and they've got a little parachute, and there's a... TED Talk, where a guy is talking about sensation-seeking, and uh, I don't think you and I would want to do either of those, but uh, something that I did a couple of years ago that was great, I went parasailing at um, uh, well, Mackinac City, and okay. he strapped you into a parachute kind of thing, dumped you into the water, and pulled you up, and out suddenly I'm 400 or 500 feet in the, in the air. Yeah and, yeah, and it was a rush. It really was a, an exciting yeah, uh, and, experience. Yeah, and another experience that, that I had, uh, which was not as dramatic as uh, parasailing, but uh, gave me quite, quite a thrill, is uh, I went a little north of where we live and, and went ziplining one day. Uh-huh. You know, 500-meter uh, uh, zip line that's... Uh, a hundred feet off the ground from one tower to another. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, that made me think of uh, zip lining in Mexico. Bridget and Sheila and I went zip lining. Our zip line was over a hundred, no, over a, a mile long, and it was <laughs> incredible. Yeah. Well, I think uh, actually altogether mine was pretty close to a mile. But you went maybe 100 meters from tower to tower, uh -huh, yeah. and then you had to reconnect and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. Now, these are both examples of things that um, I would say are not, um, not likely to kill you. Right, right. But they are gonna... outside of the comfort zone of many people. They'll give you the endorphin rush, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, whether you say, well, gee, you know, I'm 
I used to, when I was a teenager, I used to play softball, and I haven't played in 15 years. I'd like to find a softball team and try out for it. Okay. You know, um, so you try out for it and discover that you're you're old and slow, and uh, you know the team is very competitive. And they say, "Gee, sorry, your face doesn't fit." <laughs> well, you know what? Not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Good, good point. Not like falling <laughs> off the six hundred foot cliff with your rosin bag in your hand, saying, "But, but." <laughs> okay. Another thing that we've uh, looked at over the the years uh, is questioning, and particularly asking good questions. Yeah, and um, I'm going to say to our listeners something that comes from uh, some rather painful experience. Uh, assuming that uh, you have a spouse and your spouse says something to you about a problem they're having, remember that your first job is not to fix it. Aha. Uh -huh. And that is uh, the, the thing that most of us do is we rush to give somebody else our solution. To give advice. To yeah. give advice. Yeah, you're, you're right. And the thing is that you're much better off saying to someone, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, how did this situation come about? What's, what's the background? Uh, what do you think you might do? Questions like that. Because often people want to talk about it, and sometimes they need help to understand that they have a solution, but they don't uh, necessarily want you to say, well, I would, you know, uh, and, uh, and give them a fix. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct. My wife has said many times that uh, she just wants to talk. She wants to talk about her feelings. She wants to talk about what's going on. And so my inclination you know, to, to fix the problem isn't real helpful. Yeah. Okay. So um, another thing that we talked about over the course of, of a couple of years is um, emotion and particularly how we label the emotions that we are experiencing. Uh, you and I could have the same experience, like we could be both in a roller coaster, and you could be terrified, and I could be exhilarated, right? Yeah. Okay, so the same experience, but different emotions. Yeah, and the thing is that if you come out of the roller coaster at the end of the ride, and you're saying to me, oh, that was so cool. You want to go again? And I'm saying, I think I'm going to throw up. Uh, <laughs> then we're obviously at, at a different end of the, the spectrum. And one of the things that's important is to not only uh, know your emotions, but be able to label them. Mm -hmm. You know, and I've been in situations where I knew that I was feeling something. Yeah. But I was struggling to put a name on it. Mm -hmm. And lots of people will come in to see a psychologist or a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist will say, uh, sir, what, what's your problem? Or ma'am, what's your problem? And they'll say, well, I don't know. I have 
all these feelings, and I don't don't know what they are. Mm -hmm. And so asking questions, back to that one, can help to clarify what exactly somebody is feeling. And once you know that, then it's easier for them to deal with it. Yeah. Okay. So, so being able to successfully label your emotions and uh, going back to the uh, roller coaster ride, um, it's real possible that uh, somebody who has some fear might also relabel the emotion as you know excitement. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and so they could end up saying, well. I don't want to go again right now, but uh, we walk around the mall for an hour or so, and I'll be up for it. Okay. The relabeling process might take a, a little bit of time to gel. So, the, one of the other things that's kind of useful is to be able to demonstrate centering skills. Centering skills? Yeah. Like... Being balanced, being in the center? Of... Uh, being in the center of your mind, being in uh -huh. a place of status, uh, stasis rather, where you can say, okay, I'm, I'm feeling good, everything's normal, I'm centered. Okay, and this is a little bit like uh, mindfulness, right? It is. In fact, lots of people uh, now are labeling centering and mindfulness as the same thing. But suppose you had a, a friend or a, a spouse who was anxious. If you could say, I can teach you some deep breathing exercises. I could give you some stretching exercises to do. Um, I can help you to visualize a place where you can find tranquility. Those are all things that you can see would help somebody else be centered, okay. become centered. Now, the thing is, you can do those yourself. Yeah, and in fact, there's a lot of help online. Um, I've got a number of clients that um, uh, go to uh, YouTube and uh, find various kinds of relaxation sounds, whether it's uh, raindrops or uh, Buddhist or Tibetan uh, music or just uh, you know, white noise and those or, are all things that or form. frogs and crickets I mean whatever whatever is relaxing for that person mm -hmm. okay so centering to get balanced to get into the center of of your experience um, you know something that we talked about a, a few minutes ago as we were coming into the studio was uh, sleep and you might want to just share with our listeners that study that uh, you ran into by uh, some neuropsychologists. Yeah, uh, one of the things that, that they discovered was, you know, everybody thinks that sleep is um, something that happens at a set time to a set time. Yes, you go to sleep. You, you go, go to sleep. So, right. you, get you know, your if, bed you're, and, yeah. if your habit is you go to bed at 9 o'clock and get up at five in the morning, uh, that's your sleep pattern. If your pattern is you go to bed at two o'clock and get up at nine o'clock, that's your sleep pattern. But what they discovered, these neuroscientists, was that if 
you did not get enough sleep, particularly uh, in a series of evenings or whenever your sleep normally took place. If you didn't get enough, then at some point, your body and your brain started to say, uh, Pardon we me. Need, Pardon we need me. some sleep. Mm -hmm. And what would happen is you'd go into what they called micro-sleep. Okay. Bursts of sleep somewhere between a third and a half a second long. Uh, and you just kind of zone out. You wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. Now, most people wouldn't know it if they were uh, talking to you or interacting with you because it's so brief. But imagine you're driving along a six-lane highway at 80 miles an hour. Do. And you go into a microburst of sleep for half a second, just as the transport truck starts edging over. I gotcha. It's, uh, so there's you, you just did something for an emotion here, Ralph. I'm going to label it as terror. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is that, you know, yeah, you're terrified. And maybe when you, you know, come back to yourself, you say, oh, I didn't see that. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, they, uh, the neuroscientists suggested that there were a lot of accidents that happened in the U.S. because somebody was in a period of micro-sleep. Huh, okay, that's a good point. And sleep deprivation can uh, cause uh, unconsciousness, too. We've had that uh, uh, story that, um, oh, uh, the, uh, Ms. Huffington, uh, yeah. Huffington Post. Huffington Post, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, she was in a high-stress situation. She was in a situation where, where she was not getting sleep for a prolonged period of time. And uh, she just passed out one time and, you know, hit her head. You know, she woke up in a pool of blood, and the pool of blood was, you know, her own. So, yeah, getting enough sleep is, I think, something that is, you know, quite important. And uh, we do happen to have a book on sleep, uh, another book on dreams, too. We can maybe share that at some point. Um, but uh, uh, a lot of people, I'd say probably 25% of the people in the world are sleep deprived at any one point in time, maybe even more. College students are a good example of people who are uh, accumulating a significant sleep debt. And you know, one of the things, Jim, that it is partially a cause of that is that a lot of people do not know uh, techniques for getting a good sleep. And there are techniques for getting a good sleep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Now, another thing that we um, uh, kind of looked at, and it's sort of like the very first one that we looked at with problem solving, but it's um, a term that you've used, Ralph, and that is embrace mistakes. Now, most of us are mistake Aversive. Full, we don't want rate. to make mistakes. Yeah. But you think that this is a, a positive. Yeah, it's a good thing if you embrace mistakes, theirs, other people's, and your own. And the reason I say that is uh, failure avoiders, I'm going to call them, can lack resilience. Uh-huh. Uh, if we embrace our mistakes, it helps to promote a growth mindset because we then say, okay, I made a mistake, uh, but I won't make it again, or I've learned from it, 
uh, or I'm going to do better. Yeah, the example that we have used, in fact, just in a recent series uh, on uh, uh, resilience, was um, uh, Edison and his uh, quest for the right filament for the light bulb. Yeah. And he went through, you know, it's kind of interesting. You never can find out exactly how many filaments he tried, how many different kinds. Some, some people say, you know, he did a, a, a thousand. I'm not sure. But he did a lot of them. And yeah. someone said, uh, you know, aren't you, aren't you worried that you've had so many failures? And he said, no, each of these is uh, what an example of what not to do. Or what yeah, thing I, I now use. know 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb. Yeah, so... Instead of um, uh, what uh, going into the corner and grumbling and eating worms, you know, Edison, you know, yeah, per and, persevered. And one of the things then that you can say, okay, uh, if if I've got a growth mindset, then uh, every time I fail, uh, I learn something. The other thing is if, and you can think of scientists as having a growth mindset because. They set out with a hypothesis. We think this happens this way. And then they set up all kinds of experiments to disprove their hypothesis. Mm -hmm. Because if they know that their hypothesis is not valid, they will make another one. So if we in our lives say, okay, um, I think my boss will laugh at this joke. And you tell an unfunny joke, and the boss doesn't laugh. You say, well, I either got to get better jokes or a new boss. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, this kind of goes right into the, uh, the next thing that we've looked at. And we looked at optimism um, uh, during our uh, podcasts. And with optimism, we have people who are looking at the bright side of things. Positive psychology. You know, it yeah, talks about this as as well. Yeah, it does, and you know, one of the things that uh, we can can think about is learning how to reframe uh, things that have happened, because a lot of people who are by nature pessimists have uh, sort of a mindset, which uh, I guess I could say it's it's always me. It's every time, and the world sucks. Mm -hmm. So it's, so it's not always you. Mm -hmm. It's not every time, and the world's pretty okay if you fit into it well, and if you don't, you can learn to fit into it well. Okay. You know, Ralph, I heard a story today when I was driving in that I'd like to share with you and, and our listeners. Um, a number of years ago, there was a, a woman who uh, was in the Mercury uh, training program for uh, space travel. You know, okay. She was being trained as, a, as an astronaut. Um, and then somehow Mercury phased out and NASA came along and she applied to NASA to be, a, be an astronaut and, hey, they didn't accept her. Okay. Okay. Devastating. I would think. Now, fast forward... Uh, 40 years or so, guess what's going to happen in a couple of weeks? She is going into outer space with Jeff Bezos. Okay. She's an 84-year-old woman. Okay. And she is 
I, fulfilling know. a lifelong dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, so you know, if there's any story that we could you know share with people that would kind of indicate uh, having a uh, a bright side or, or promoting a bright side, you know, that would be the story for me at least today. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I've heard, Jim, particularly from younger people, is that second really means first loser. Yeah, that's I've heard that also. There's there's a winner and everybody else is the loser, right? Yeah, and the thing is, second is not first loser. Second is saying you trained really hard, you did well, you didn't win this time, but you're well positioned for your next attempt. Okay, yeah, and I guess this uh, this female astronaut, I don't know her name, I think it's Catherine, I believe, uh, but we'll know about her in a couple of weeks because uh, you know I'm sure that Jeff Bezos was going to talk about her. You know, I was wondering, he's got room in his, uh, his spaceship for three people, himself okay. and two others, and I've been wondering who he was going to take along. Um, my, my guess was that he might take along uh, two pilots, that he'd, <laughs> he'd have a spare pilot in case something happened to the... <laughs> and maybe that's what he has, too, with this, uh, with this lady uh, astronaut. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's an interesting thing, Jim, because we went through a period uh, with NASA where uh, it was a, a multi-billion dollar endeavor over years and years. Yeah. And... Um, one of the things that you and I have done in, in our checkered past is read a lot of science fiction. Correct. And one of the things that Robert Heinlein, uh, a science fiction author of the uh, 40s, 50s, and 60s, uh, wrote was that uh, space will never be conquered by a government endeavor. It will be reached and exploited by private industry. Huh. And so now, uh, 2021, we have, uh, uh, what, SpaceX? SpaceX and a uh, couple of other uh, space companies that are involved in putting up satellites or uh, dealing with uh, other things. Uh, there's a, uh, well, at least one company that says that they want to start a colony on the moon. Wow. Okay. So, you know, things are, sometimes things are slow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a big debate right now here in Michigan about a company in the uh, UP that wants to launch uh, um, rockets from, uh, I think, a floating platform in Lake Superior. Okay. To, to, and I'm not sure what the, uh, uh, the goal is, whether it's to uh, take people up on... Uh, um, Suborbital, you know, flights or just you know what, but it's, there, there's a lot of opposition to it, and I suppose we should find out a little bit more. We probably will find out a little bit more as we go along, but it's kind of interesting because this gets us to the last point. If you think about outer space, okay, Rob? Okay. Well, something that you've talked about before uh, quite often, it goes along with sleep, it goes along with exercise, it goes along with with uh, stress reduction, and that is to take a hike. Take a hike. Or, uh, you, as you might put it, get outside. Get outside, yeah. And one of the things, you know, when, when you think of it, um, 
we as human beings have a multiple, multiple thousand year history where uh, we had maybe caves if we were lucky or maybe brush shelters or teepees or something uh, that were not as nearly as comfortable as what we have now. Okay. Okay. So now we say, well, the, the natural place to be for, for people is inside. Aha, uh -huh, yeah. And no, it's not. It's evolutionarily, we're still set to be outside creatures. Interesting. You know, a lot of the uh, kids that I deal with uh, are very sedentary. They don't like to go outside. And uh, when I talk to them about it, uh, they say, well, you know, outside it's kind of dirty, it's buggy, and there aren't any, you know, electrical outlets. The idea being they need something for their, uh, for their, uh, their devices. Devices, yeah. whatever they are. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can say this, I think, without fear of contradiction. A five-mile ride on an exercise bike in your spare room is not the equivalent of a five-mile ride outside on a regular bicycle. You are really right about that. I'm, uh, Sheila and I used to have uh, uh, a Nordic track, uh -huh. a, a piece of apparatus that simulates uh, cross-country skiing. Well, I did not like to use the Nordic track, but I love cross-country skiing. Right. The, what's the variable? Well, the variable is outside. Outside, yeah. Because there's a lot of stuff that goes on outside. There's interesting things to look at. There's clean air to breathe. Uh, there are a bunch of sensory experiences like uh, uh, the wind on your face or the snow hitting your head or hair. You know, it's just yeah. a, it's a different experience. And from my perspective, at least, it's a, it's a, a better experience. Well, I got back into cross-country skiing, which I'd done in high school, and I got back into it in, in my late 20s, maybe early 30s. <clears throat> and I was out on the track the first day with my new uh, cross-country skis. Okay. And there I am going down the track, and from behind me, I hear somebody calling, Track! Track! They want you to, they want to pass you. They want to pass me. So step off the track and a 17 year old guy from the Finnish ski team goes blowing by me. <laughs> and then I get back on the track and I'm going along and I hear another voice behind me, track, track. And I jump out of the track and a 40 year old guy goes blowing by me. He looks a lot like, and in fact, I find out later is the father of the young man. Okay. Okay, so he's blowing by me twice as fast as I'm going. So I get back in the track, and I'm going along, and all of a sudden I hear, track, track, and I step out, and there's the 80-year-old grandmother going by me. <laughs> and, you know, it's one thing to be blown off by a 17-year-old from the Finnish ski team. It's another thing to be blown off by his 80-year-old grandmother. But I got better. Okay. <laughs> so the positive lesson in that is I got better. Okay. Okay. You might never have uh, been able to uh, uh, beat the 80-year-old grandmother, though, but well, you got better. I got better. <laughs> okay. Well, in point of fact, the Finnish ski team used to do a particular route 
in about five minutes, four minutes, 58 seconds to five minutes, uh, 25 seconds, okay. depending on the snow conditions. I got to the point where I could do it in just under six minutes. That's uh, admirable. You know, yeah, that's, now that's it took me three speed. years to do it. Mm -hmm. Three years of training, uh, going out after uh, teaching for the day, going out at four o'clock and doing five to 10 kilometers. But I did it, uh, I can't say I did it religiously because I, I wasn't doing a lot of praying other than <laughs> sure hope I don't die. But uh, I did it rigorously and I got better. Okay. And I think that's part of the lesson of, of outside. Yeah, well, another part of it, Ralph, is I think back to uh, the beginning part of our uh, uh, talk today. Um, you're out there now um, uh, on the track, you know, getting some exercise, when your uh, colleagues are you know, sitting at the VIC drinking beers. Drinking beers, <laughs> so yeah. It's got a few, uh, few uh, positives in it as well. Yeah. Well, this is kind of fun, Ralph. You know, we've looked a little bit at what we have done over the last few years. And I hope for our listeners, we put it, you know, in, in perspective. All of our podcasts are, are still up there. They're available either at Podbean, uh, for most of them at Podbean, or all of them at psychtakeaway.com. If there are some that you missed, um, you know, go on back and, and take a listen. Um, usually we've put, put enough information on the uh, liner notes so that uh, uh, you know what we're talking about. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully, yeah. And uh, if you don't, uh, if you get into um, a series like uh, Gender, um, which is a, a uh, four or five part series, uh, generally by the time you're into the last part, you'll be feeling at home there. So, so until the next time, this is Jim and this is Ralph <laughs> saying keep, keep your, your stick, stick on, on the ice because we're all in this together. <laughs> <laughs>